Over 20 years ago, my family and I moved from the Philippines to Midland, Texas. And so it might be a bizarre decision, but ultimately God led us here. And don't get me wrong, Midland has some good qualities like tumbleweeds, flat, flat terrain, lack of water, 100 plus degree weather. It's great. <laughs> but at the same time, there was a yearning for me to come back home. And so on August this year, I finally got the chance to go back to the Philippines and to see my hometown. And it was like a rebirth, a new culture, a new language, new food. Well, not necessarily new, but it felt new to me. And so even though I'm not a good swimmer, I enjoy being inside the water, but as you, and um, it, there's, uh, there's just many areas in the Philippines that are very beautiful, and you could see, uh, <laughs> you could see that there, there was areas where the, uh, the beaches were white sand, and the water was crystal clear. And so ultimately, my favorite part of just going through the Philippines was having the opportunity to see the whale sharks. And uh, those are massive. They are really bi bigger up close. And I had, I had the opportunity to touch them, but they tell you not to. And so I, as I was enjoying my three weeks in the Philippines, all of a sudden, my stomach started hurting. I, I just uh, blamed it on overeating because when you have an aunt named Angel, she typically is very generous with her food. And so I just passed it off, continued eating because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to miss this food. I'm going to leave soon, so how could I not continue eating? But ultimately, the pain got worse. And as I returned to the US, uh, my mom helped me to discover that I actually had stomach parasites. And so, so <laughs> with my mom's help, I'm, I mean, it's been three months now, so I, I'm hopefully there's no more stomach parasites in my stomach, but I tried my best to um, eat properly to watch for what I eat, but ultimately, I, somehow, I made a mistake. And sometimes that's how temptation comes to us. We're just sometimes living the best life that we could on this earth, and all of a sudden, it just strikes us. And so, in this story of Genesis 39, we discover how Joseph deals with how he's going through life, the highs and lows of his life, and how he'll respond to temptation. And that's why I have the title of my, this message today is When Temptation Comes. Because Joseph handles temptation very well. So starting in verse 1, it says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. And we got to stop right here because ultimately we crashed. There's 50 chapters in Genesis 50. Genesis. And we're already more than three-fourths away, so let's, 
set the table up a little bit and go back to Genesis 37. And just a slight refresher, uh, Noah, God already flooded the earth, and Noah and his descendants have repopulated the world, and the Tower of Babel has happened. And God chooses Abraham, and he has many sons, but the chosen son is Isaac, and he has two sons, Esau and Jacob, and who we're focusing on. And there's so many things that we could talk about in Genesis. I mean, there's 50 chapters of it, but I only have you at max for 50 minutes, so, so I have to move on. But I just want to just mention that Jacob wrestled with God in Genesis 32. And so now Jacob has 12 sons, and we're focusing on Joseph. He has 10 older brothers and a younger brother named Benjamin. And so chapter 37, verse 1, it says, Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers, and the lad was with the sons of Bilah and the sons of Ziplah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. And so he, Joseph here is a, a little bit of a tattletale. That's what it means by bringing a bad report of them. And so this just increases the tension between him and his brothers because ultimately this, there's a big tension that we're about to read. Now Israel, who is Jacob, loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. So unfortunately, Jacob continues his father Isaac's and Rachel's um, bad uh, parenting of favoritism because Jacob or Joseph was from Rachel. He, he favored Joseph more than all his other brothers. And so in verse 5, it says, Now Joseph had a dream, and he told, them, told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. So he said to them, Please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheave arose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheave. And so it doesn't really make sense to us, but apparently his brothers all got the hint pretty quickly. And his brother said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us, or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. And so jo Joseph wasn't malicious in telling his brothers about his dreams. Maybe he might have been bragging a little, but it doesn't justify all the hatred his brothers had for him. And so we skip a little bit to verse 16 or 18. So jo Joseph has another dream where, where even his fa father and all his brothers and his mother bow to Joseph. And so his, it seemed like that was the breaking point for Joseph's older brothers because it says on verse 18, Now when they saw him afar off, even before he came near them, they sp conspired against him to kill him. Then they said to one another, Look, this dreamer is coming. 
Come, therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit, and we shall say some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard it, and he delivered and he delivered him out of their hands and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit, which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him, that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. So here we see that initially Joseph's brothers wanted to, to kill him, but Reuben managed to convince his brothers not to, and he had a plan to, his other brothers were going to leave Joseph to die, and so Reuben had a plan to save, save Joseph. And during this time, uh, Reuben would go away between verses 22 and verses 23 because as we continue to read, it says, So it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him. They, then they took him and cast him into the pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat a meal. Then, they're, they're, then they lifted their eyes, and look, there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing spices, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry them down to Egypt. So this is kind of surreal to imagine that Joseph's brother hated him so much that they would casually eat food while leaving their brother to die in a pit. So continue on in verse 26, it says, So Judah said to his brothers, What profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to, come and let us, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brothers listened. Then Midianite traders passed by, so the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, and they took Joseph to Egypt. Then Reuben returned to the pit, and indeed Joseph was not in the pit. And he tore his clothes, and he returned to his brothers and said, The lad is no more, and I, where shall I go? So they took Joseph's tunic, killed the kid of the goats, and dipped the tunic in the blood. Then they sent the tunic of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, We have found this. Do you, do you know whether it is your son's tunic or not? And he recognized it and had said, It is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Without a doubt, Joseph is torn to pieces. And so the brothers managed to convince Jacob that Joseph is killed instead of telling the truth that Joseph is away in slavery. And so here we have Joseph at a high point of his life. He was the favored son. He had a cool coat with many colors. But now he's a slave heading to Egypt to a people he doesn't know, to a language he doesn't know. And so we, we come back to Genesis 39. It says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, brought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. And so apparently Joseph was uh, of good stock because the Potiphar is one of, it's essentially like the head of the secret service, if we think about it. And so that's a very high position to be placed in, or uh, 
he was sold to a person of a very high position. And so there was luck. You could say luck, but in the verse, next verse, it says, the Lord was with Joseph. And so that's what God has been doing. He, he's, he sees the wickedness of his brothers, and he, plan, he has a plan to counteract what his brothers have for Joseph. And so we have to take note that it's God that takes the first step with us. He's the one that formed us in the womb. He's the one that loved us before we ever knew him. And so there's a choice. It's, a, it's f- to continue to be with, with God because he's already taken the, ste- the first step to bring us closer to him. And so we continue reading it. It says, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. And so Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had he put under his authority. And so... Joseph is in a low point of his life. He's in a strange land, and he's a slave. But yet, since God, God has taken this first step towards him, and jo- Joseph accepts God because he, because he chose to, do the, uh, to serve faithfully to the master that he was sold to, because this is a point of, this is a bad point of his life. He could re- rebel, he could be angry, he could be frustrated, and he probably was feeling those things. But he chose to follow the word of God. He chose to follow the will of God, I should say, since the Bible has, doesn't exist yet. And God rewards him for it. So let's f- f- turn our Bibles to James 1. In James 1, verses 16 through 17, it says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. And so because Joseph chose to follow God, God rewards him. God rewards his faithfulness to serve in a bad situation. And he's so successful that other people, uh, other unbelievers could see it. Because it says his, his master, which is Potiphar, saw that the Lord was with him. And so that's the that's a application point for us. If we're in a, put in a bad situation, do we still follow the Lord wholeheartedly? Are we able to show that the Lord is with us through our attitude and how we work and live? Because Joseph is a prime example of, of when things get bad, continually follow the Lord. And because he chose to follow God's plan, he, God made him prosper. So he... Joseph was so prosperous 
it says in verse six, it says, thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. And he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. So Potiphar trusted Joseph so much that all he needed, all he worried about was just what he was going to eat because Joseph was so successful. Joseph was so faithful to serving Potiphar and that in the end, Potiphar decided to give Joseph even more rewards. And so that's a point for us is that with the task that God has given us, we have to be faithful to fulfill it. And if we, if we fulfill those things, he'll trust us more and reward us more. And this, this doesn't necessarily mean we'll all be richer financially. It just means God's blessings will just come down and we'll f- have a more fulfilled life. And just remembering that this life has its highs and lows. There will be constant ups and downs. But in Matthew 6, verses 25 through 33, if y'all could turn there. Jesus himself is speaking. He, he says this. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? And this, this one makes me laugh because I felt taller when I came back to the Philippines. <laughs> but now that I'm here, I'm back to being the short on the short average side and so just remember (laughs) wearing does not add anything now it doesn't add to your height so continuing on verse 28 it says why do you worry about clothing considering the lilies of the field how they grow they neither toil nor spin yet i say to you that even solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. He knows that you need all these things. But seek first the righteousness of God, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. And so somehow, Joseph, without the word of God, with only his Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's uh, stories, Joseph somehow instinctively knew that God would always provide for him, that God, that as long as he submits to God, that he will prosper so that, that's our that's a point for us. Even though we might not have all the riches that we want, we know that our Father is going to take care of us. For Jesus himself said, for what does it gain for a man to gain the whole world but loses his own soul? In John 16, 33, he said, 
These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. It's one of my favorite verses. Just remembering that <sighs> this life isn't going to be as fun as we'd like it to be. There's going to be troubles that come our way. But what's the point of gaining the whole world when Jesus himself has already overcome the world? When we can put our trust in somebody who is greater, the one who created all of earth. And so that's why um, it's all good things come from God because he's faithful and good to those who believe in him and trust in him. And so we're going to move on to our second section in the response to temptation. And starting in verse 7, it says, And it came to pass after all these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. And I forgot to read the last part of verse 6. Joseph was handsome in form and in appearance. So there, Joseph actually has many things to be proud of. He's handsome and he has so much uh, riches by now. He could be prideful of all these things, but he remembers ultimately where all those good things come from. That's why he continually rem remains humble, and we see his humble spirit in these following passages. And ver in verse 7, we see that a woman, Potiphar's wife, wants to commit sexual immorality, specifically adultery with him. But Joseph, knowing God's ways, he, he does this in verse 8. He says, but he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all, the, all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So Joseph definitely has the opportunity to commit sexual immorality, but he chooses, chooses not to. He knows what God wants for his life, and he continually resists the temptation. And the fir first thing that, that sticks out to me is that Joseph says this, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So when we sin, it is not a victimless crime because ultimately, as God is omnipresent and all-powerful, all-knowing, he, he knows when we sin all the time and we sin against him and we're, we choose to rebel against his design. We choose to go against his goodness and Joseph recognizes that and we must recognize that as well, that our sin, though it may bring a pleasure, it's ultimately a pleasure that's unsatisfying. It doesn't compare to what God has planned for us. And so Joseph seemingly recognizes that it's better to follow God's ru rules than to follow his own desires and instincts. And one thing that we have to recognize is that the devil is very intelligent. He's powerful, but he's not all powerful like God is. In 
in First Peter, in First Peter five, verse eight, it says, "Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour." I watched a documentary somewhat recently on lions, and they they are powerful and fast creatures, but ultimately, when they hunt, they don't have the endurance to just straight up chase after their prey. They have to lie in wait and camouflage and sneak up to their prey, and even then, they may not get be successful in their hunt. And this is why Peter is comparing the devil to, to the lion, because he's looking out the devil is looking out for who is going to stumble, who's going to fall. He's looking out for your weaknesses because ultimately he knows your flaw- flaws. And I know for the, some of the, the church knows that one of my flaws is that I talk too much, is that sometimes th- some people want to put a tape around my mouth because I keep on yapping. But, <laughs> oh, okay, but... Really, the devil knows whether what your weaknesses are. He's going to pounce when you least expect it because he's not going to play fair as he is the father of lies. So he's not going to um, strike, you know, he's not going to strike you when you're fully prepared. And that's why we have to be sober, be vigilant, be watchful because he, the devil is seeking ways to bring us down and, and to make us step away from God's plan. But we have weapons against the devil. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, it says this. No temptation has overtaken you such as common such as is common to man but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it now uh, the sinful uh, self-deprecating self-hating part of me wants to look at this verse and say wow I had the choice to not hurt the ones that I love. I had the choice not to disrespect my parents. I had the choice not to lie, cheat, or steal. And yet, I chose to not make the way of escape that the Lord has provided for me. And uh, this is all things that we Christians must recognize, is that there, there's a constant war between uh, good and evil and that we seek to do the right thing, but we sometimes we don't. In fact, let's turn to Romans 7. In Romans 7, Paul actually, if you could put, uh, if you could make a list of the greatest Christians of all time, I would put Paul on the first first place but this is what he himself says in Romans 7 verses 14 through 15 it says for we know that the 
that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand it. For what I will to do, that I do not practice, but what I hate, that I do. So essentially, Paul is saying, I try to do the right thing, but sometimes I want to do the wrong things. And that's the reality that we have to face as we're living in this life, that we're this earth, this earth is not yet heaven. This isn't the place where every tear and sorrow is wiped away. This is the place where we still have to struggle with this reality. But there's, uh, in Second Paul also says this in Second Corinthians 5, verse 17. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And so now that I remember these things, now that I know that I'm not that old person who hurts people, who lies, cheats, and steals anymore, I have a new identity in Christ. Now that I can look at 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and see that no matter what temptations come my way, God's always there to provide a way to escape. I've, always, I've given God a hundred million reasons for him to leave me, yet I know that he will always be with me, that he will always give me this place to escape. And so let's turn to Ephesians 6, Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 13. This is Paul speak writing. He says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly faces. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. And so God provides us with weapons. And I'd like to elaborate more and continue on in verses 14 through 19, but we have to focus on Joseph. But ultimately, uh, you, can sum it, you can sum up that verse with another verse. James 4, verse 7, it says, Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. When we, what, what does submitting to God look like? It means surrendering to his will, choosing to follow his ways. Because that's the first step. We have to get to know God more, know his ways. Because otherwise, there's, we have no power when, when we rely on ourselves. We must submit to God first and then resist the devil and then the devil will flee from you and so just to show a practical point on what submitting to God looks like let's go back to let's turn to Ephesians 4 verses 29 through 32 it says let no corrupt words proceed out of your mouth but what is good for necessary edification 
Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. So, so this is a, a call to those who curse. So I still somewhat do it in private, but ultimately we need to use the air that God has given us to help those around us instead of using words that are a waste of time that don't do anything good. Continuing on, it says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. When we chose to accept God in our hearts, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells within us. And so he's the one that helps us recognize what is wrong and what is right. And he helps us, our conscience, to know to stay away from sin. And so when we choose to reject the Holy Spirit's advice, uh, reject um, God's plan for us, we actually grieve the Holy Spirit. And so let us choose to follow God so that the Holy Spirit may continue his work within us. Continuing on in verse 31, it says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, and clamor, and evil speaking be put away with you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted." forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And that's what a picture of submitting to God looks like, a person who loves God and loves people. So, continue. Turning back to Genesis 39. It says, so it was as she spoke to Joseph, day by day, that he did not heed her, to lie with her or be with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was inside, that she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. So here we have evidence of the devil walking around like a a lion seeking to devour his prey. And continually sends, or uh, continually sends Potiphar to try to tempt Joseph, and Joseph, being faithful to God, re- no, rejects her. And he, the fu- funny thing is, in when it says when he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside, it's kind of implied that he's almost, almost naked, and so he chooses the best course of action, he, knowing that. In that situation, if he stayed, he chose to run away. And so that's uh, a point for us, that if there's sin in our lives, we need to put physical distance away from it. If somebody struggles with being a drunk, you, you, don't, s- you don't let him go into a bar and just watch him and wait. You try to put him in other places. So I just remember as an elementary school kid, there, y- there was a campaign. It says, dare to say no to drugs. And it's a good idea to say no to drugs. But ultimately, if you say, what else can you do? You, there must be something that takes place of that addiction. It's a, so it's been said, it takes a passion to conquer a passion. And with the way Joseph has lived his life, he's built, he's disciplined himself to continually re- reject 
uh, Potiphar's wife. And when, he, when he's reached a breaking point, he still chooses an action that leads him away from sin. And so we must uh, carefully study our lives to see what can drag us down and um, seek to spend more time with God because if you're doing sinful things, you could be instead be doing following God, reading your Bible, being in prayer, being with other believers to hold you accountable. It, like you said, it takes a passion to conquer a passion. You must have a passion to serve God and love God and to submit to God instead of following sin. And so we're in our last section, the consequences of what happens. In verse 13, it says, And so it was when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them, saying, See, he has brought in a, into us a Hebrew to mock us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out, that he left his garment with me and f went outside. So she kept his garment with her until his master came home. Then she spoke to him with words like these, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought to us came in to mock me. So it happened as I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside. So uh, unfortunately, Joseph's good deed was rewarded with punishment. And this is just uh, a reminder that things aren't going to go the way that we want in this life, even when we try to do the right thing. And we must be remember that God has a plan, that he operates on his own time. But let's turn to Second Peter. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, it says, But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. <laughs> That's a, a humbling thought to think of, because we must remember that God is out of, outside of time, that he doesn't operate in the in a manner that he wants us, we want him to. He has his own plan that he will fulfill on, in his own timing. And continuing on in verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So you might be wondering, what does this have to do with Joseph's situation? Well, ultimately... If God can have patience for more than 6,000 years with humanity constantly going against him, rebelling against him, we should be able to have uh, patience for the trials that God puts in our way because ultimately he's always faithful to deliver us. In Jeremiah 29, verse 11, uh, I'm reading from the ESV translation. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare or peace and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. And you might say to me, but RJ, this verse, it doesn't, it, 
does it immediately apply to us? It applies to the Israelites that God is talking to. But ultimately, it's recorded in the Bible for us to see what God has said to his people, to his chosen people. And aren't we grafted into his people as well? Aren't we also Israelites adopted into his family? Well, we're not Israelites. We're still Gentiles, I should say. But, but if you still uh, need to be convinced, I'll read you my favorite life verse. It says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And so the plans that God has for us, even though it may seem weird, we don't understand it, we know that he's doing a great thing. Something good is going to come out of it. And here, jo Joseph doesn't realize this at this moment, what's, what the reason why God has put him in Egypt, but he's going to do a great work in him. And so we'll turn back to Genesis 39. It says, so it, in verse 19, it says, so it was when his master heard him, the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, your servant did to me after this manner that his anger was aroused. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. And he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. And whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was in jo in under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. And so somehow Joseph already knows Romans 8, 28 to be true. He continually serves God even though he, he was already a slave, but now he's in a prison, but he chooses to do God's will. He chooses to do good. And so God continually continually rewards Joseph's faithfulness towards him. So as we're living our lives, may we just remember life is not easy. It's going to be filled with its hardships. But when we trust in God, he's faithful and just to commit to his promises. He's not slack concerning his promises. It's his promises are yes and amen. So let's, let's read, let's go to Matthew 28. As we're coming up on the new year, We, I don't know what challenges or trials you may face, but I know that God has given us his word. He's given us his, uh, his laws to follow. And this is the creed. This is what he wants us to do. He says, and Jesus spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all those things that I have commanded to you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So as we're here living in this life, 
May we remember to love God with every fiber of our being and to love our neighbor as we love ourselves because God seeks to bring humanity to salvation, all of humanity to salvation. And we need to make disciples and the and we must disciple ourselves so that we could teach his commandments so that people could know the goodness of God through us that as God moves within, within our lives, we could draw people closer to him. And may we just remember that this life is not yet heaven, but there will come a day when all the t- hardships, all the troubles will go away, that all the te- tears and sorrows will be wiped away, but not yet. So may we continually serve God and make disciples of all the earth. Let's pray.